another episode of AI, where we discuss artificial intelligence and machine learning from all perspective. And today is no different. Demetrius is here in the house and he's going to bring, I would say that that hidden layer of jam, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because we all know what happens in the input and output layer, but somewhere in the middle, there's a black box. So that's where Demetrius and his involvement with all the people that he deals with in his community, the ML Ops community. Uh, this is your homework if you're listening to uh, the podcast today. ML Ops community, go join them. It's a giant community, very useful community. You won't know what sort of jam you will run into in ML Ops community and join their webinar. Uh, I have today Nas, and we are going to talk to Demetrius. That's right. Oh boy, I don't even know where to start, but let's get it started, Nas. What you got? Yeah, no, I'm like, I guess I'm gonna have to say that Chan was like saying, ay, 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 MLOps. That's a you new know. remix of it. I like it. Now, I'm glad to have you, Demetrius. I think looking forward to talking to you for our listeners in terms of what you're gonna share. Um, and maybe, you know, like we can start off earlier, we were discussing um, sort of off the record here, right? Is about your you love engaging with developers why don't you start with that tell us what that is in your sort of domain in your day-to-day -day, you know sort of excitement tell us what that is yeah for sure so first off appreciate the kind intro and i appreciate the chat chant and the uh mix up on the chant and giving it a whole new brand <laughs> coming in here we try <laughs> you know it's an honor to be able to chat with you too I, you've done a ton and so i'm excited i have like this funny thing that happens every once in a while where i get to pinch myself and think like I've, i you know five years ago i had no business being able to talk to the people that i'm able to talk to these days and the now i can kind of use the community as an excuse to to chat with people that i would love to talk to and learn from and so you spoke about developers developers are in the community we've got a whole lot of them because they're coming from just about any size company you can think of these days and it's hard to measure the size of the MLOps community, but we can say like roughly it's probably between like 20 and 40,000 around there, depending on how many ways you want to cut and split the pie. And I can talk about that later, but the majority of them are developers and specifically the ones who are chiming in on Slack or in the YouTube comments or on LinkedIn and engaging somehow in some way with the community, those are like 90% developers. And I think one thing that I find is different when you are talking with developers and you're engaging with developers is the sixth sense that developers have. Like no developer ever wants to get sold to no developer ever wants to feel like they're being marketed to. And so there is this thing that you have to learn, especially when you're in developer communities, about how you can't just go in and shill any product and think that you're actually doing your product a service by like spamming <laughs> about your product. And especially 
if you're doing it, there's like these unwritten rules that people have to come and find out about, I think. And every community is different in that regard. Some are very extreme and others are a little less extreme, but that probably is the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> well, as Biggie would say, if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> and if you want to know more, <laughs> Demetrius, the man, because this is what I love about Demetrius and the Laps community, because the community is full of surprises because the amount of people that comes to your conversation and, you know, engage with you, um, they bring such a flavor, right? Mm -hmm. And and you you don't really find it anywhere else. I mean, Nas, uh, you know, we can find these little small communities of pocket pockets of communities. Uh, but what I see in a webinar and and how Demetrius is able to project that into the virtual world, because there is meetups, right? But then there's MLOps community and the jam of people that come to the MLOps community because that trust that Demetrius just mentioned that you don't just spam them, you don't try to sell them anything, you're not you're not trying to market to them, uh, and and that works. That's the charm that developers actually say, "I'll come to your webinar, I'll virtually present myself in front of the whole world," uh, 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 because Demetrius is that type of platform that he he has built. So amazing. Amazing. Yeah. We, we yeah. got a whole lot to unfold here. <laughs> yeah. and no, absolutely. Demetrius, I mean, you you bring up an interesting point. Um, as developers, right? I mean, I have interaction with hundreds of developers throughout my career um, within cloud domain and everything else. You know, developers tend to sort of what I call, they're not, they're not client facing, right? So there's a question coming at the end. And that is like, Obviously, they love to code, hence they're a developer. I mean, they have certain promises within, you know, development domain. How does your community, like, you know, again, MLOps, help developers to, you know, give them sort of what I call um, that thought process or framework to say, hey, look, you, it's great that you have this power that you do develop and build products, but how do you teach them, let's stay focused what I call is let's be client centric because that's not their innate ability. They're more machine friendly for lack of a better phrase than the client facing. How do you help them to start looking from that lens so that they're not quote unquote spamming, right? They're really kind of more graceful where they're taking the input from the customer and then developing their product and pushing it out of the market. Yeah. There was a lot of learnings that I had to do over the past four years, that's for sure. And let me be a little more specific. So the you have the developers that are actually building and creating things with AI. And then you have like the infrastructure company companies that are coming in trying to get in front of those developers. And if done distastefully, that's where I think you can get a lot of problems and really a lot in the community at large where it feels like, you know, you're just coming in here to try and sell me some product. You're not providing any value. You're just linking out to a downloadable PDF that I got to give you my email for that kind of stuff. Like that doesn't work with developers. Yeah. And so I've, I've seen that and I've, been very vocal about it i've also seen like the messaging sometimes you know like developers can see through all these different messages we used to joke a lot in the beginning of the community about how basically in 2020 every single ai infrastructure company or like ml ops 
company had on their website and somewhere this quote that was referencing some study that it's been so mixed in the washing machine so many times that nobody actually knew where the quote came from, but everybody just kind of used it. And so it was taken as true. And that was like, oh, 80 or 90. Every time you saw it on a website, it was a different percentage right. of data science initiatives or machine learning initiatives never make it into production. And then inevitably it would be That's like, true. our tool solves that problem. And so that, that was a, a funny piece. And so I think trying to make jokes about this and trying to be lighthearted is one way that I would, I would help the different tooling companies come to the table in a different way and recognize that a lot of people that built companies and are building companies around the infrastructure space when it comes to AI, they're building these companies because they had so much experience early on and they understand the pains that people were going through. So they're really experts in this field. And so come with that vibe of like, how can I bring my expertise and help you in this problem that you're going through as opposed to coming with the vibe like check out my product isn't it cool we'll help you get your machine learning model into production and yeah. so there's that piece and then the other piece i think is is really just trying to be you mentioned like I, I'll, I'll bust out the guitar on different live streams and all that fun stuff and i recognized early on that it's going to be a lot easier if i am just myself and i'm having fun when i'm doing this as opposed to trying to put on a mask and be somebody that I'm not. And so as soon as that recognition came into my head, it was like, all right, well, I don't have to answer to anyone because the community is, is the community. It's not like anyone really owns the community. So if I'm going to be doing things with the community, I'm going to do it how I want to do it. And just so happens I like to play guitar and be really corny sometimes or I like to do yoga and I make videos about all this different stuff and these are ways that I can bring a little bit of my personal life into the uh, to the community and then I get to learn from other people because it I think it gives people permission to be more open so if someone sees me doing these things and they see me being that open it allows there's not like that that barrier anymore and so in one way or another i think people are feel okay to also bring themselves and not have to feel like they need to be someone else in the community beautiful beautiful yeah. beautifully said beautiful. and and there's definitely a lot to unpack here too also i think there's ton you know he just shared a nugget and a wisdom that you know, you can you cannot find this stuff in the books, you know, you know and, and I'll tell you, I mean, I'll put a quote out there and I'll let Asif kind of take it from there. But, you know, Einstein said there's two kinds of people in this world. Right. One is a genius and the other one is a wise person. The difference <laughs> is that a genius makes a mistake and learns from its own mistake. But a wise man learns from somebody else's mistake. Mm. Right? And you, what you said is, is just kind of like embodies that whole statement there. And it's just so beautiful. And not only that is like, again, as you said, is like you are playful with, with your ingenuity, right? And, and, and you're kind of you're coming up with the, and when you're like, one of the thing that I've learned over time is like, if you're happy with what you do, 
the creativity comes like it only oozes out of you. And there's yep. so many things you can do, and you beautifully so and eloquently described it. Asif, I mean, I, there, there's a lot to unpack. This is absolutely a great wisdom nugget here. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll get started on unpacking. <laughs> but what what you just said, there's two types of people in the world. I, I think uh, there's two types of code in the world. One yeah. that somebody else val uh, validated and one that you validated yourself, right? Uh, because one that you validated yourself is the one that you find out that other one wasn't really validated properly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if I may, my favorite quote in the world, uh, two favorite quote in the world is that one is that uh, Internet is slow today by Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and the other one is uh, Mark Twain, which I validated myself. Uh, I think he went something along the line of uh, there's lies and there's damn lies and there's statistics. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> and that applies to MLOps community very much because the statistics is bread and butter of all your MLOps knowledge, statistical mm -hmm. analysis. And I think you mentioned a lot of the developers. And when people think about developers, they think of developers like somebody who's going to hit the keyboard and start coding because you give them a logic that the logic has to be, you know, somehow programmed into a, a kernel and the kernel will push that through to the internet, right? Uh, so that's a logic uh, that people think about, that you know, somebody who's very logical, somebody who's a developer will code it into uh, to make, make the business process work or whatever that use case is. Mm -hmm. um, but what MLOps-wise, they have to understand is just the beginning part of what MLOps is. So if somebody who's not part of an MLOps community, and first of all, MLOps stands for machine learning, um, Oh, wow. Op operation, operation. Right? Yeah. yeah, machine learning yeah, it's operation. like a branch of DevOps. A branch of DevOps, exactly. Uh, so when we're unfolding these, part of the conversation is that like, hey, you're talking about a programmer and coders who are also very good at mathematics, have statistical analysis as a experience, or uh, really does a lot of work with the algorithm. They're not just coding and programming. They're also utilizing Jupyter uh, Notebook and you know SageMaker and all these different, different tools that you as a person who's not uh, custom to MLOps, you're not familiar with these terminologies, right? Mm -hmm. What that means is that as you start to uh, understand this MLOps community, what you understand is that um, uh, they know a whole lot about everything, right? Mm -hmm. They're the subject matter expert in something, domain expert of something, and then they're coders, then they're developers, then they do statistics and stuff, then do. So when you talk about full stack developer, MLAPS needs to have its own term into what does that full stack look like, right? Yeah. Um, so I'll give you one example. A lot of people jump in in 2023 and 2024 talking about LLM. Easy to put out, right? Then you ask them about NLU. Then you ask them about NLP. And they kind of start saying, like, NLU, okay. Which one is that, right? So that's the level of depth of understanding that they have to have. The spectrum is really wide. And that's what makes the MLAPS community that much more special. Nothing against the DevOps people wouldn't be able to do anything without the DevOps people. You know, I just had to start at DevOps. And then eventually when you start doing MLOps and you're like, yeah, I'm cut out for some of these things. And I mm -hmm. know some people that are really making, a, you know, having a tailwind in all of these different, different pieces in the spectrum where I'm just like struggling with just one or two things, you know? Um, so, so shout outs to anybody who's in the MLOps industry and, and just loving it because it's a, it's a really hard place to be in because the spectrum of knowledge is so wide. Um, so I'm going to yeah, stop right there. I want to give you a I thought say, process there to continue from there. 
for sure there there's something that you were mentioning before we hit record and it was all about people and this is 100 percent hitting the nail on the head when it comes to people because within the ml ops if you want to like look at it as a big circle you've got the different people that are part of that and it's not to say that you don't like you have to have that t uh, shaped expertise where you can go deep in one thing, but you also need to know what are these other things and how do they matter to my job too. And so with MLOps, you've got the data engineers. You got to know how to get the data around. You've got to know what shapes and what schema the data is coming in and what the modeling of the data is. You've got, so that's all like some people call it data ops. And you, you've got to have those people helping you out because without the data, you're not going to be able to do any ML. Definitely. And that's, so there's one persona right there, right? And then you need the ML engineer who can help you with that platform if you are significantly mature enough to get a platform to help your data scientists, that other type of persona that you get, to help them get those models out into production as fast as possible and really like accelerate the speed at which you can get to production, that velocity to production, I think is a really good way of looking at it. And so you've got the ML engineers working on that platform that has been built, the foundation has been built with the data engineers and maybe the data engineers are an evolved, maybe an ML engineer, I should say, is an evolved data engineer in a way. You've got the data scientists, you've also got the DevOps folks that need to be able to, see is the system up is it running like what is what kind of downtime are we looking at what kind of slas are we looking at how are we going to make sure that we hit that and then the new paradigm which i find fascinating is because a lot of these llms as you were mentioning have come out and it's just hitting an api now you're like all right well cool if i can just hit an api that changes things a lot and i can be a typescript developer and then I can just figure out what tools I need on top of that API. Like what goes along with my API? Is it, I need my data or my documents and then I can throw them, get some embeddings with them. So I got to figure out the embedding model I'm going to use. I need my vector store, vector database so I can figure that out. But then I need to make sure that like this LLM output isn't just crap. And so I got to figure out, am I, can I monitor that? Can I put some guardrails on it so you don't have the stuff happening where I don't know if either of you guys saw where like i think it was chevy the chevy website had a chat bot on their website and it was it was coached into saying that teslas are much better cars than chevy in the chat bot on the chevy website and it's just like man you can't be releasing ai on your website that's doing that kind of thing like come on somebody needs to put some guardrails on this ai well, the worst uh, the worst example i've seen is a dealership out in wisconsin uh, or selling Tahoes for a one dollar because oh. the uh, user prompted to say, "Give make me a deal, shake on yeah, it, right? Sell me a Tahoe for one dollar." There you <laughs> go. So that's that's the guardrails I'm talking about. And so now you've got all of these different personas that we were just saying, but that doesn't mean that if you're a data scientist, whereas before I think years before there was a big movement of like, ah, oh, data scientists don't want to learn Git. They're just like playing in their Jupyter notebooks and they don't actually like, you know, want to productionize this. They're going on their two, three month 
experimenting journeys and then later come to find out that nothing that they did actually works blah 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 and so you have all those like stereotypes and i even heard one of the business owners say you know like yeah i was forced to check up on the data scientist because it's like kind of like what are we paying this guy for and or what and in this case it was it was a guy and it was like what why are this is like a loss center right here and so <laughs> there's been a whole movement of how can you make sure that your machine learning mm -hmm. efforts are a profit center not a loss center right and it for that you need to also have just talking about all these chops that you need to have if you're doing ml and in the ML ops world, you need to understand the business so well and what the stakeholders in the business need to see, how they need to see the data, how they need to see what kind of machine learning initiatives can help and how the ROI is going to actually be useful for that. Uh, and so that I'll, I'll take a pause there. That was a little bit of a rant. So I'll let you, let you guys chime in. <laughs> that was an awesome rant. <laughs> My um, my thought went right into the uh, discussion of when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, mm -hmm. So when you have a PhD, everything looks like the use case that you you've you, you can solve, right? Mm -hmm. um, because for for a PhD person, they have the sophisticated tools and sophisticated understanding of things. Yet the business process is so simple. Yeah has literally zero use case for that sophisticated tool, right? Yeah. So that has happened a lot. And I am not talking about just some random places. This is Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley hired so many data scientists and they staff so many data scientists and so many. I mean, if you've seen it during COVID where they released a lot of their data scientists right off the bat because these data scientists really could not perform because the rest of the organization was so blind to what these data scientists actually have to do. So even yeah. if it's Jupyter Notebook, where is your staff that is uh, uh, feeding the data into the, the data scientist's hand? Where is your data engineering team? Where is your data acquisition team? Where is your ETL team, mm -hmm. right? You don't have any of this infrastructure. And I'm not talking about hardware. I'm just talking about people as infrastructure, right? As in, you do not have a hierarchy of rosters to say, these are the individuals that needs to be on the chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. Data scientists don't even show up until chapter nine, right? So when I talk to uh, CEOs and CIOs, that baffles them a lot because they don't want to believe that's the case. And then the, when they realize it, it's already too late. Return on investment kind of already sunk, right? Um, so there's a, like Nasir said, wise people is the one that looks at Silicon Valley and said, well, Silicon Valley did it. I don't have to do it that way. I should yeah. because they did it. Right, um, 100%, I, think, yeah. I, think, I think there's some a lesson to be learned with what you said because uh, uh, it's so true because uh, you think data scientists will solve everything. So data scientists is not a hammer or a nail. It's yeah. just part of your infrastructure, right? Uh, if you have all the hardware in the place, if you have all the software in the place and you have no data, what's the point of bringing a data scientist in? Yeah, Maybe you want to use that software to collect some data first. That's right. That's right. No, I mean, I, I, I said, I think you uh, and Demetrius, I think you guys have actually um, this, uh, what I call is like open up a Pandora's box, if you will. Right. I mean, the, you know, this is one of those topics. Uh, I've gone around the world, delivered hundreds of engagements with multi-billion, uh, you know, dollar companies, national companies. And there's there's this sort of misconception, if you will, when you go there 
is that all of a sudden you hire these sort of top-notch consultants to pay high dollars that, you know, now you're going to have actionable intelligence, right? And it brings up what Asif was talking about, what you alluded toward is they completely ignore the, the part of where, where's the efficient data supply chain? Mm-hmm. Where is like, because garbage and garbage out, we all learn over, you know, over the course of the years is obviously your data has to have some sort of integrity, some sort of governance, some sort of cleanliness, data wrangling. And they don't understand that. They they say is, oh, we got data scientists. And all of a sudden, now you're going to have the best, you know, <laughs> machine learning things going on. And, you know, and you've got the SageMaker that runs a bunch of Jupyter notebooks. And I got mm-hmm. guys working on a training algorithms. Doesn't work like that, right? Yeah. So I think it's it's about the education, and that's why we're talking when before you know recording as well is that what I see as a growing trend within the industry, and I, I take it I take it as a parallel. Um, back in the days when we started cloud in two thousand six seven eight timeframe, one of the pain point was is that nobody really understood what what the heck cloud was. They really didn't know how to use it, let alone mm-hmm. they understood what cloud was, um, and. What also I noticed back then is there weren't really good people out there trying to educate people on the cloud because people are like, oh, you know, this is whatever. Like the idea of building VMs on cloud is like, who's going to do it, right? <laughs> Fast forward, I mean, this is basically the entire world is now on cloud. Yeah. Um, and now there's maturity model in terms of training. So the, the parallels here is that we are basically sort of, we've already into this paradigm of, you know, sort of generative AI. MLOps are that critical to make sure that, you know, the deployment's easier, the practices are embedded. To your point, again, we're listening to customer, telling vendors, all that good stuff. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, if you don't know how to do any of this, right, how can you do it better? Hmm. So people like yourself that are actually, you know, promoting communities and engaged on a day-to-day basis, I mean, that's that's a noble cause. I mean, you know, call it, sure, I mean, for-profit, none. I'm not going to get into that detail. But the fact that you're engaged, you're helping people, not only, you know, and that's developer communities, right? It's like, hey, you know, this is a this is a technology we sat on it for so long. Let's be wiser now, right? Let's let's help those that need help. Let's educate them because as my, in my industry, the educated client, the educated clients are far better clients because they can ask you right questions. So it's mm-hmm. the same thing as when you educate people on this technology, then you have smart developers as inherently byproduct of that because they're asking the right questions to the developer driving the right products out, which then sells themselves, right? Yeah. So it's an interesting paradigm we're in, but both of you guys, I mean, this is, as he said, it's a, sort of a, you know, a Pandora's box. I got a little bit of a funny story on a tangent that you were talking about there on how you have to understand the data that you have and you have to understand that you need that data and you can't really build machine learning if you don't have the data, right? I was talking to somebody who was saying how they went into a company one time and it's it's going back to this, you think you need a data scientist, but really you need a data engineer. And that's probably before you get to the data science level, you should start with the data engineering level. And uh, they went into this company and they started working and they were like, oh, well, I need data. Uh, they told me I was going to be able to have this data. And everyone says that we have this data. The data stream is here. But when I looked into it, it hasn't been working since 2006. And nobody <laughs> noticed. 
<laughs> Gee whiz. So, like, that's, that's kind of stuff that like that just destroys your whole machine yeah. learning model you think oh yeah i have this data it's good i got access to it you start digging in a little bit more nope you don't actually have that data or the freshness is a little off we could say well i mean that's why you have you know this car manufacturer that's uh you know promoting tesla over their own car and then the you know the tahoe being sold for a dollar it's that's exactly yep. that's the byproduct of that right is when you have the stale data, when, you know, there's no sort of rigor or governance around it, garbage in, garbage out, that's why it's important to educate, then establish that. And, and I was a big proponent of, like, when I started developing, I mean, well, not developing, but when I started doing these engagements with clients, I'd say, hey, let's build you an efficient data supply chain mm -hmm. so that you have this right data coming in, and then you can put that into whatever large language models that you're writing or training. At least you're going to have a good start there. Um, and it did help quite a few, you know, of customers, uh, but it's a learning curve. It's a, it's an education, right? Because I mean, it, it's essentially what you get is pushback where it's like, no, 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 you're not solving my problem. But it's like, well, yeah, we're trying to get to, you know, the core of the issue. Yeah, yeah you got to be patient. You know, I get shown, I, I guess I, I actually did got shown the door uh, once or two times, actually, because I walked into a room hoping that, you know, I'll have an audience that will listen and they did listen and they kicked me out of the room because I told them that you have, you have a need for more data than what you have already collected. Mm -hmm. And that did not go well because the amount of pain that they have to go through in order to do their data supply chain is, it, it's really difficult. It is really that difficult. Like you said, who's going to track that data from 2006, right? So when you're talking about data acquisition, ETLs, all this process is months and years worth of work. Yeah. Um, I can go into the future, but let's not do that because there's no point of talking about the future if you don't have the past correct, right? So the past mm -hmm. is, this is, this is, this is how I uh, uh, frame the whole supply chain. Let's call it a data portfolio. If you look at a data portfolio and you don't have one in coming years and months, you have done very well for the last few years and decades without a data portfolio, you're not going to do that great mm -hmm. in the near future without a data portfolio because that data portfolio will be just like your fixed asset portfolio, your other asset portfolio, right? People will look at that and say, you literally cannot sustain yourself against your competition because all your comp competitors already have those data portfolio. So when you start talking about data acquisition all the way to uh, utilizing those data for AI machine learning purposes, if, if, if you look at the pain point that you're already addressing, you know, you have other solutions like synthetic data, right? You have other methods that you have to explore. If you, if you bring in a data scientist who will take years and months to figure out that your data was been collecting in an Excel sheet and, and it's not even CSV worth it, right? It, it takes months and years for them to actually realize that. But if you upskill your workforce that knows your business process very well, been there for years, knows what sort of data gaps you have, knowledge gaps that you have, if you're able to take that experience, the subject matter domain expert, and say, I'm going to upskill you for AI machine learning purposes, specifically focus on the data acquisition side of things, data portfolio side of things. If I can have you upskilled and engage on that topic, how would I save not a few thousand dollars, I think hundreds and millions of dollars, right? As in because your workforce is already engaged with your business process. They can turn you uh, turn your data reports in within the next 24 hours and say, I've been tracking this for years. I already know we have this data gap, right? Uh, because they understand this nature of uh, data. And if you upskill them for AI machine learning purposes, now they look at the full cycle and say, this, 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 this are the ducks that we have to put in the row and actually engage with AI machine learning uh, uh, eventually. But right now, this is the problems that we have to address.
So that data portfolio and the people side of things, right? That people process and technology, forget technology, right? Look at the people that you have in hand, upskill them, find out what process they will do and give them an end vision for that technology. If that technology is not developed in shorter time frame, because you went through that process of not hiring a data scientist, uh, you can come back and tell me how that went. Because I'll tell you right now, that's the way it goes, is the people process, process of the data, process of the AI machine learning. At the end of the rainbow is the technology. And yeah. that technology yeah. is a shorter life cycle, cost very little, uh, rather than to go say, I'm going to hire a data scientist that is PhD from MIT for $350,000. I'm going to fi hire five of them. And I'm going to have them sit around and bring the hammer and break everything and tell me eight months later that, sorry, we didn't really have anything to prove here. We were just exploring and discovering. And sorry, yeah. uh, we have a better project to go to because you have everything on Excel sheets. We don't, we don't, we don't deal with Excel sheets. <laughs> There's something fascinating that I heard from the Financial Times and how they do this because we say this all the time in the MLOps community. Just like DevOps is very much an organizational practice, MLOps, since it is a branch or a, a offspring of DevOps, is <laughs> just as much an organizational piece to it. And the Financial Times uh, interview that I did probably like a year ago, I think they are doing something fascinating when it comes to this because it's it's really easy for anyone at the company to throw questions over the wall for the data team, right? And so in that case, if that's your workflow, you aren't going to have the amount of people that are on the data team that can field all the questions. The demand is always gonna be too high because yeah. if you've got a thousand people working at the company and 10 are on the data team, those 990 people are asking questions that the data team needs to go and check out and every ticket is going to take whatever let's just say it takes 10 minutes but that's still a lot of questions that they can't get to right so what they did which i thought was fascinating in the organizational sense of the word on how to make their data more valuable and also their teams understand the journey and understand what the value of the data is and how you can use different technologies at the end of that that supply chain, as you were talking about, uh, and also make sure that it's not something where you just say, all right, everybody into a room, we're gonna learn data science now so that everybody can answer their own questions, right? That wasn't the idea they took because they realized that people would fight that or maybe people have their own misconceptions about what they're capable of. And so they said, we're, we're gonna do something different in that we're going to have almost like what I dubbed like human APIs for the data teams. And so if you wanted to get some kind of a question answered with data, instead of being able to throw it over the fence and get the data team to answer that question and whatever, maybe it's like you put the email in all caps and you say, this is super high priority and it may get answered, it may not. And you really have to make a case for why you really need this. What they did is they said, all right, these human APIs are going to be the ones that you talk to and you're going to get your questions fielded by these people who are going to walk you through a series of questions on your ask. 
So you have an ask, like how many people churned from the last newsletter because of this or that, or how many people were doing X, Y, Z, and can we predict, you know, you're starting to add a little machine learning flavor to the mix. Can we predict how many people are going to churn from this subscription in June, July? And you maybe you have the basics in there, but you want to start getting a little bit deeper down into the questions that you're asking, right? You go to the human API and the first thing that they say is like, okay, let's say we answer that question. What are you going to do with that information? What is the tangible action that you're going to do? Is it just like, oh, cool. Now I know. And now it can like stew around in my brain for a little bit. And maybe I'll have some stroke of inspiration later on. Or do you need that question answered so that you can then do something else in your workflow to get some high value piece of information pushed forward? You're moving the ball forward in some other way. So I thought that was that was a really cool way of looking at it because it would be syncing with the human API and the human API would try and help you learn from your question and learn from how you are trying to go about it and then help you figure out if there's a way to get that done without you needing to send it over to the data team. And also what uh, the person that we were interviewing was saying was that, you know, eight times out of 10, those questions didn't really have any tangible outcome. So they didn't need to get answered anyway. And that's what the person who was going with the question would find out after they have a conversation with this person. And then they would say, oh, you know what? Actually, yeah, good point. Like once I have more information on this, then I'm going to ask a better question because it's that quality of the question that they can come to the data team with. And then that just brought down their, you know, the data team's tickets by a factor of like 10x and they now are able to manage the questions that they're getting or the tickets that they're getting and it's much higher value to the business. Wow. Wow. I mean that that is some insight there. That that's that's what I call wisdom, man. Uh, I mean you eloquently said, I mean the word that you the line that you use and I think I'm going to probably use that in you know every interaction that I've had is learn from that question. Learn that's that. beautifully said. Yeah. You know one of the one of the things, Demetrius, that I've I mean I found um, and I struggle with uh, personally, right? As well as we all have this innate ability to throw questions at and become like, oh, I'm the expert at asking questions, but nobody takes a step back and say, you know, the question that I'm asking, am I am I myself learning from that question? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And and look, I mean, I think the the part of upskilling and sort of whole conundrum, um, it is important. Uh, I'll give you a case in point, um, you know, when we were talking about setting up SageMaker and setting up, you know, the Amazon Redshift, right, for a client of ours, um, the traditional way of working with data as we're running ETL and step processes and all that stuff, because they were so hard set on it, they never actually thought that the product they're going to use has a little bit of twist to it. As you all know, Redshift has ELT right? Versus ETL. And honestly, I mean, again, sort of like fast forward, learning the difference can make or improve your transaction performance and cost performance, right? Cost efficiencies. And that upskilling was so important 
Without that, nobody could really understand. I mean, you and I can sit here and argue six waves on Sunday. Oh, I get it. But actually, once you get it down to the stack, again, ask the right question and learn from those questions, the whole different paradigm opens up. But, you know, again, eloquently said, beautiful. I think I'm learning a lot already. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to end the discussion here with a, a long introduction of everything you have going on in the MLOps community, what your vision is, where you where you've been so far what does it look like today um because that's what that's what we want to promote to the world as they listen to the podcast but i want to kind of capture what's been the theme of this conversation here so far and i want to start with the code right uh it, it, i think uh, blaise pascal um, uh, is a mathematician physician from france uh mentioned that you know if i had more time i would have written you a short letter yeah <laughs> If I had more time, I would have written you a short letter. I think they, they say Thomas Edison said that, you know, if I had to solve a problem, I'd think 55 minutes to think about it and then five minutes to do it, right? So right. I think we have that need to Im import into this questioning side of things because every engagement I go to, and I'll tell you the recent one I did that I really enjoyed is with Microsoft where they bought in their Power BI and Power BI had AI interface to it. And that interface had no numbers in it, all text, literally Excel should disappears. All of a sudden, you have this uh, chat bot that is, you know, interacting with you using your data, right? So that's really cool. But what happened is that before they presented it, I opened for them to explain to them, uh, explain to the audience that, hey, this is how you approach this topic that you're about to see. All the products that you will see, this is what's under the hood. Because what's under the hood, if you look at it, the first thing you have to know is that you will see a whole lot of information. And then you have to ask the right question about those information. So if you see mm -hmm. a data set, if you don't see a data set, you have to know to ask the question that where is that data set? Because it's not there. That means this thing is not really going to work the way it needs to work, right? Mm -hmm. So you can see a product very well. You can see the, all the data sets. Oh, my God, billions of data sets. Got it. Cool. But you didn't ask the right question about those billions of data sets. So I always talk about machine learning, decision science, and decision science core components, that quadrant where you're asking the right question for your uh, machine learning solutions to provide you. Because if you ask the wrong question and uh, day one, eight months later, you'll have a wrong answer uh, that you that you didn't anticipate. So it's always good to have a version iteration. It's always good to ask the right question. But asking the right question from different, different subject matter expertise, the people, is yeah. the core component of getting that question right. So you have an answer that's worth return on data, return on investment. Um, but I, I want to take the opportunity here to learn about your MLOps community. What do people need to know about your vision and where are you heading with MLOps community or just you know your your uh, your, uh, your professional life? What do people need to know about where you've been and where you're heading? Yeah, I mean, I'm just so grateful to be here where I am right now. You know, it. I was mentioning beforehand, right, that five years ago I was teaching English and my daughter was born and I thought, oh, I think I need to get a real job. <laughs> I can't be doing this English teaching in Spain anymore because three months out of the year, people just go to the beach and they don't want anything to do with English learning. And that was the transition into tech. And I never could have imagined that I would be here as part of like kind of the... I'm not going to say the face of the community. I, I never could have imagined that I would be here as part of the MLOps community and as 
someone who's making all this different, basically getting to talk to people like yourselves, getting to talk to other people that I find amazingly interesting. And that's been a huge blessing for me. So as far as my vision, I always laugh because I'm like, this, no matter what my vision was, I could have never envisioned being here right now where I'm at. And so I'm trying to be more intentional about where I go. And I am trying to make sure that I'm learning all along the way. And I'm learning in many different facets now. And that's what is really incredible too, is because I get to learn how to be a business owner now. I get to learn how to lead teams. I get to learn how to focus. Like that's huge for me. Focus on where... I want the product to go, the MLOps community, if that is, if we have products that we are making revenue from, what products are those going to be? How can I make sure that those are the products people want? So I'm learning about all of these different pieces. All the while, I still get to interact with amazing developers doing some of the most cutting edge stuff on the forefront of this technology that everyone says is going to change the world. And I just by happenstance find myself here so that being said i mean we've got all kinds of stuff in the community that we're doing and if anyone is interested i'd love for you to check it out we've got virtual conferences uh, i'm having one in february actually in february 15th and february 22nd we are in 37 cities around the globe for in-person meetups and that's all decentralized anyone can start their own virtual meetup in their city or sorry not virtual uh in-person meetup in their city and then attract like-minded people and then we've got well i've got a podcast myself where we talk with different people about the uh the challenges of putting machine learning into production or using ai these days it's a lot of llm talk and yeah, a newsletter, obviously, basically any medium of getting the word out about what we're doing, we probably have it, you know, the <laughs> newsletter, blog, podcast, talks, tech talks, all that fun stuff. And it's great because it's it's all an excuse for me to grab my guitar, play <laughs> guitar on these virtual settings, virtual stages, or to talk with smart people. Oh yeah, well, the the playing guitar and singing a song that was written by ChatGPT. How cool is that? <laughs> I could do that. Or my my favorite thing is to just get people in the chat to prompt me right. instead of giving ChatGPT lyrics. I just say, you know, you throw in the prompt, I'll figure out the lyrics. I'll be your ChatGPT for a little bit. We'll bring it back uh, to the human yeah. level. I'm yeah. gonna think about it until the next webinar, and I'm gonna actually put go. that in the chat. But like, this is my prompt for you. <laughs> there we go. I'll sing all about it. I'll give you a two-minute song. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. No, that's that's amazing, man. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Your uh, your uh, website uh, and your contact information and preferred method of communicating. Uh, I think you know we want to know that so that way, uh, like. The, the amount of com the, the community and the amount of people that you have in it um, needs to be really sought after, as in just for purposes of to get started, right? Not necessarily, you know, going out and start digging with a shovel, 
but just to get started because uh, to engage with the right people and listen to their perspective from their experience is highly valuable. And I think mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a necessity that organizations are picking up slowly. Um, I think quite rapidly, but just not in every pocket of industry because not everybody's interested in AI the same 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 manner. So how do we get in touch with you? Uh, what's the best way? I think LinkedIn is probably where I'm most active these days. And I tend to share the funny videos or I tend to share the learnings that I've had or different insights from talking to people. That would probably be the easiest way to connect. I usually connect with just about anyone. I'll collect connections like Pokemon. <laughs> so with that being said um we definitely want you to come back uh because nice. you know now that we had the conversation started we need updates right how yeah. things are going where things are going um i, I want to end this conversation with this what you have in 2024 is unfathomable because in 2022 there was chat gpt at the end of the year Whole 2023, everybody, I'm talking about academics, industry, and media, AIM, all they talked about is ChatGPT with zero budget. Mm-hmm. Come 2024, everybody's talking about the budget, and now they're trying to figure out what the technology is because it's beyond ChatGPT at this point. Yeah. So your community will grow triple the fold, and I wish you all the best and luck. Um, when you come it. back, you just tell us how crazy it has been for you since we last yeah. spoke. <laughs> yep trying to ride that hype wave that's what it is surfing is fun man it is wild to find myself here that's for sure and i really appreciate you guys having me on this was super cool to be able to chat with you and learn from you all but so how do you say yeah 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 though yeah 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 all right all right now you're part of the uh club man you're indicted into the chant Chain club. <laughs> oh, that's classic. Yeah, it's been a humbling experience learning from you, Demetrius. Thank you for sharing all the good stuff with us and all the ugly underneath it too. <laughs> You're too kind, but, man. But no, but thank you. you you've been a, a true scholar and a gentleman, um, and you taught us a lot uh, for us, for our listeners. So thank you very much on that. Appreciate that. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Uh, talk to everybody else next week uh, through I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 and the lobsters. <laughs>